Welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. I am your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined me for episode 86. Well, today we have a return guest and a new guest, and they just happen to be married. So I have Jimmy and Christine Moore with me today, and they are talking about their new book, and they're talking about keto, and the name of the book is Real Food Keto. So in today's episode, we have one return guest and one new guest, and they just happen to be married. So Jimmy and Christine Moore are talking about keto and talking about their new book, Real Food Keto. And the book includes recipes by Marie Emmerich, who has been on the podcast as well. So a little bit about Christine and Jimmy. So Christine is a nutritional therapy practitioner who specializes in real food. This is her first book, and in the podcast, she will tell more about herself, but uh, very happy to have her. And if you haven't heard of her husband, Jimmy Moore, you probably have not been in the keto scene for very long. He is an author who has written numerous, numerous books, and he created Live in La Vida Low Carb, which is one of the earliest podcasts around low carb, He is, as well as Keto Talk, the Keto Hacking MD podcast, and some of his books include Keto Clarity, the Ketogenic Cookbook, Cholesterol Clarity, Complete Guide to Fasting, among others. And Jimmy got into the business because he was looking for a way to lose weight, and he ended up losing 180 pounds. So Christine and Jimmy Moore will be our guests today. But before we get started, if you listen to last week's podcast, I started a new segment where I share facts, interesting facts that you probably don't care about <laughs> and you probably would never look up. Since the Super Bowl was last week and I came across this fact about avocados and the Super Bowl, I figured it would be a great time to share some interesting facts about the avocado. So here we go. Number one, Americans eat 69 million pounds of avocados on Super Bowl Sunday. That is a lot of guacamole. I bet you didn't know avocados are poisonous. So the avocado contains a fungicidal toxin called persin that is completely harmless to humans. However, it is poisonous for other animals, such as birds, rabbits, cows, goats, horses, pigs, sheep, and fish. In the past, avocado pits were even mixed with cheese to kill rodents, according to South American folklore. And then there is a rumor that avocados are poisonous for dogs, and the studies have been inconclusive, but there may be a chance, so be careful. All right, number three, avocados ripen around companions. So if you really need your avocado ripe and ready to eat, you put it in a bag with some fruit, such as apples, bananas, apricots, nectarines, and plums, and they produce ethylene gas, which is a ripening agent. So you put them together and they'll ripen faster, which I don't understand the need for that since I buy avocados and they're ripe within about two hours and then black within three. All right, the next one. It is estimated that the Mexican drug cartel makes $152 million a year from growing and selling avocados. 
Next, did you know that pumpkins, watermelons, and bananas, and avocados are all berries, while strawberries, raspberries, and blackberries are not berries? Hmm. Strawberries and raspberries aren't really berries in a botanical sense. They are derived from a single flower with more than one ovary, making them an aggregate fruit. True berries are simple fruits stemming from one flower with one ovary and typically have several seeds. So, a berry is not a berry. And then lastly, this is one you want to pay attention to. Avocados are an aphrodisiac legend. So long ago, the avocado was enjoyed by many in Central and South America. They call it ahuacate, which means testicle in Aztec. And if you've never thought about it before, you now realize that the shape of an avocado gave rise to the Aztec name. As a result, it became a legend. All right, those are the facts about avocados. So before we get into the interview with Jimmy and Christine, let me remind you that I do have a Facebook group called The Keto Leader. If you go to danielperryman.com, that will bring you to the link. Or you can go to Facebook and type in The Keto Leader. And lastly, so if you do enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe. You can do that through iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast app. And share it with somebody else who could use the information. Now that you know everything you never wanted to know about the avocado, let's get on to the interview with Christine and Jimmy Moore. All right, welcome everybody to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. This is the video version, as you can see, if you're looking at us. So I have great guests today. Uh, a return guest, Jimmy Moore, welcome back to the podcast, and his wife, Christine. And so uh, Jimmy just happens to be there. I think this is more going to be about... Uh, talking to Christine today. Oh, please. I want you to talk to me. I talk too much already. She tells me often. Yes, you do. The mouth never stops. <laughs> I'm in trouble today, Dan. I, I, I look forward to this. <laughs> Next 30 minutes, 45 minutes. So uh, let's, let's start with Christine. So uh, I take it you are, before we get started, this is the book, uh, Christine's new book, Christine and Jimmy's new book, and uh, your first book. I believe, right? Yes, it is. And right now, my last. <laughs> it was just a big undertaking. I mean, I I hear people talk about who wrote books. You know, they were like dead tired by the end of the process. And I get it now. I mean, it does take a lot out of you because you spent, you want it to be the best it can be and spend so much time and energy into it. Uh, but yeah, we're very proud of it. Yeah, well, it's, it's a beautiful book, and uh, we'll get more into the book now, but uh, are you hearing an echo on your side for me? Okay. Okay, so Christine, tell us about you. We never get to hear about you. We know about Jimmy a little bit. We'll make Jimmy talk about himself in a minute, but uh, let's, let's start with you. Like, back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? What were you interested in? Uh, yeah, so I was um, born in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, so he got stationed there, and that's where he met my mom, and that's where we grew up. Um, and so I was born three months early, and I had a bunch of health challenges that came as a result of that. Um, one being my eyesight. I've got eyesight issues. I'm blind in my left eye from birth, and then got really bad vision in my right eye. Um, and I started dealing with other health issues as I started to grow up 
about maybe age 11, I started having joint pain and we have rheumatoid arthritis that runs on my mom's side of the family as far back as we can remember. So we just kind of attributed it to that. And then I started uh, in my, I think I was about 16, I started having symptoms of endometriosis, but wouldn't be diagnosed with it until about 32. Um, and then I started having uh, mental uh, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, that sort of thing in my early 20s. Um, all while growing up, my family and I never really put the connection between diet and the things that I was dealing with. If you were to look at me on the outside, I was actually underweight. So you would think, oh, well, she's healthy. Uh, but I was far from healthy. And so as I got older I kept dealing with these things going to the doctor for you know this and that and never really getting any answers and so when um, Jimmy I, you know, I watched Jimmy do his thing for about uh, five years and um, he um, I finally went to the doctor in 2009 got my lab work done and my triglycerides came back at 298 which was really high and so I brought my lab work home to Jimmy and he's like, well, you know what to do about that. Because by this time I had listened to him, you know, doing the low carb thing. And I had supported him because up until this time, anything, everything that he's tried, you know, has failed. And so I, I, I didn't see myself, I still didn't see myself as having an issue that I needed to do something about it. So I, at that point in 2009, I just cut out my Dr. Pepper, M&Ms, and Skittles. Those were my three favorite things. I was still eating a bunch of other crap, uh, but just in six weeks, my triglycerides went from 298 to 136, just cutting out those three things. And so wow. I'm like, well, this, there's something to this, but still really wasn't that serious about low-carb ketogenic. In 2011, we went through embryo adoption and I ended up getting pregnant with twins. And at that point, I got really serious because Jimmy had done several interviews, uh, you know, about people um, saying it's really important to eat healthy, especially while you're pregnant. So we would even go to the store, get liver. He would cut it up for me in pill form. I would, uh, he would freeze it and I would take it like that because I couldn't stand the taste of liver. But that shows you how serious at that point that I was. We, we subsequently lost the twins, but due to some genetic issues that we weren't aware of. But after being that serious about my food, I started seeing improvements. And then first thing was four months in, I went to my eye doctor for my annual exam. And for the first time in my life, my eyesight actually got better. We had to get a prescription wow. going the other way. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then I started noticing I was able to get off of my antidepressants that I had been taking for 10 plus years, you know, for depression and that sort of thing. So that was another thing. And then I saw my joint pain start to go away once I got my vitamin D levels where they needed to be. Um, my, my joint pain for the most part went away. I still struggle on rainy days, but I mean, just all those health improvements, that's, I mean, that's kind of the reason why you know, I kind of wanted to get into this space and, you know, I had the opportunity to go through the nutritional therapy practitioner program and I was learning so much information on it. I'm like, this stuff has got to get out because it's not being talked about. So, um, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> so what, uh, I'll, I'll save a question for you, but, uh, just going to Jimmy real quick. So, uh, this is your first book, Jimmy. Yeah. Very first one. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually number eight is what this one is. Uh, number three more coming in 2019. So yes, I like to write. Yeah, and you you go back to the very beginnings of low carb. I like the, I like that story back when low carb and keto was definitely not cool or even known about. Right? What what year did you get into this space? Well, I went on the Atkins diet in 2004, and that was right about the time Atkins really hit its prime around 20, uh, 2003, 2004 was when like all the junk food stuff came out. By 2005, it was, it was a dying trend, and it pretty much went dormant there from about 2005 till about 2010, 11, when like paleo came back around, wasn't explicitly a low carb diet paleo, but it at least brought to people's minds, oh, we need to be mindful of grains and sugars and things like that. So yeah, uh, I've been around for a very long time and it's very gratifying to see keto being all the rage now. Keto said, just ask Jillian Michael, right? Oh yeah, she's the expert in it. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate that people have to use diet trends, the popular diet trends to sell their own books, but it's just where we live. And uh, yeah, she's just one example that's doing that right now. And, and I think that shows that there's there's so much uh, interest now around the ketogenic diet that if people are taking sides. I always think that that type of press is good regardless, whether it's good or bad, just because people will, they know I'm in, I'm, I have a podcast and all that, they'll ask me finally about it, which and then I can kind of share resources and all that but uh so christine uh why did you decide to get this degree talk about your degree a little bit your uh, certification well i mean i had been wanting to go back to school for a period of time and i just didn't know for what i i have a love for geology uh if you come to our house our house is full of rocks and minerals that that i've collected i've even got a meteorite in my collection so i mean i'm, I'm a big fan of that um and then jimmy came to me uh, late December of um, 2016 and said that there's this opportunity to go through the nutritional therapy practitioner program. I went, well, yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I mean, I, I thought it would be easy because I'd been listening to him blab his mouth all these years about stuff. I'm like, I already know a lot, but no, I got into it and I, I learned so much. I mean, it goes into anatomy and physiology and it goes into why the body works the way it does and talks about digestion and endocrine system and how if if you're in if your if your blood sugar levels aren't under control there's really no hope in balancing your hormones we were learning all sorts of stuff like that we were learning about the immune system and the importance of prostaglandins and how they are important in in controlling inflammation in the body so um I, I'm just really thankful that I, you know, went through the program because again, this stuff is not being talked about and so many people are still struggling in their journey, not knowing why. And some of these things that we talk about in Real Food Keto um, could be an answer for them. Yeah. So I want to get into the book, but the one question I want to ask is how is it writing a book with your spouse? Even though, even though I know you guys are best friends, we'll just skip that part. But, uh, uh, this is your chance. This is your chance to vent all you you've wanted to vent out uh, about writing a book together. Well, for me, uh, <laughs> having done this seven times before this book, I have a flow when I write books, and so when you kind of get into your flow and your rhythm, and and I'm used to being very loner. Even the ones I collaborate on with doctors, I'm still kind of a loner when it comes to the writing aspect of it. So to have 
the other author in the same house was a bit uh, interesting. Let's put it that way, Dan. <laughs> um, and, and of course, the front part of the book is all about keto, and I was just, you know, doing my thing there. Uh, but then we got to the nutritional therapy aspect where I didn't really know the material as well as she did. And, and I had had her write out uh, just in a very raw form, what do you want to say? And then I'll jazz it up, make a narrative and all that jazz. And I get there and I'm going, honey, come here. Because I was like, I don't understand a lot of this. Stuff. I said, okay, explain, explain this detoxification pathway one. What does that mean? Uh, oh, it's this, this is it. Okay, uh, use English this time. What does that mean? <laughs> because if I can't understand it as, the, as an author, I can't communicate it in words. So we went through quite a bit of that. The, the front matter, like the first half of the book, I zoomed through. We got to the back part where it's like all the nuts and bolts and meat of the whole book, the reason why you want to get real food keto. That's where she and I were kind of button heads there for just a little while. A couple months, I guess, we really, down and dirty, was just really working through it. I but mean, we got through it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you're in this space for a period of time, and you automatically assume that everybody should know this stuff by now. And so that's kind of my mentality that I had towards Jimmy. It's like, okay, you, you've been in this space for a while. Why don't you know this stuff? And I kept forgetting that, oh, yeah, this is just not being talked about and so he had to learn right along with me i learned a lot of stuff when she was going through the program dan i was like why don't i know that nine out of ten people don't make enough stomach acid why don't i know about the detoxification pathways and the importance of opening those up and i, I didn't know any of that stuff and so that's one reason i wanted to collaborate on this book one reason my publisher was very interested in it because nobody had ever written a book about nutritional therapy before it was it's pretty much the very first book that combines it and of course people see keto in the title oh another keto book is just when they see the cover too and it looks like a cookbook it, it looks like a cookbook and it's not i mean we've got 50 recipes in there yeah maria did a great job we're trying to get people to understand that this is not just another keto book and it's not just another cookbook we've got information in there that is so important on any type of diet that you're on it's arguably the most important book I've probably ever written and that's saying a lot because this is my baby right here <laughs> that's my baby Dan you know yeah and yeah and we have the uh oh yeah <laughs> you, you get Jimmy with the bro stash and uh Christine when she was 95 pounds yep I just uh I just picture you two writing this book remember like the 1970s and 80s cop shows where they would have the desks facing each other is that how it works <laughs> Yeah, almost that way. Something like that. <laughs> so um, we'll talk about the book in whole, but uh, I pulled some I pulled uh, some sections out where I found it I found it very interesting. You can you can really tell that uh, you've taken a holistic approach in this book, right? It's just not eat your fats, right? Make sure it's uh, you know it's it's definitely way more than keto. Uh, so I, I want to just jump around. So the detox jump was interesting because uh, I'm, I'm all about sweating. I think that's a great detox and I've, I've done the uh, charcoal and the uh, ni you know, niacin and all that, but you talk about bouncing and dry brush and uh, enemas and oil pulling. Just maybe touch on why is detox important and then how did, why did you include those type of things in the book? 
So yeah, our detoxification, our ability to detoxify is very important because for people that are holding on to toxins, it may be that they're, that's the reason why they're holding on to a little bit of extra weight. The toxins are stored in the body fat to prevent the, uh, the body from being harmed by those toxins. So uh, if, if we are able to properly detoxify, we have to have um, bile flow that's good. And so bile flow is stoked by eating enough fat and by staying hydrated. And then your lymph system needs to be uh, flowing properly as well. And unlike the cardiovascular system, your lymph system doesn't have a pump to keep it moving. And so that's why the bouncing exercises, because that will get your lymph system moving. And so the lymphs, the, the toxins are carried through the lymph system and put into um, the bile. And the bile is where the uh, toxins are taken out of the body through the feces and the urine. So that's what, um, if you ever notice the color of your urine yellow and your, and your feces, the bile is one of the things that gives your, those things its color. And so that's where a lot of your toxins are uh, removed from the body. Sweating is another thing that toxins are removed from the body. And so this is why it's really important to make sure that we're getting our nutrients from real whole foods because there are certain nutrients that the detoxification pathways depend on. Uh, for phase one, it's B2, B3, magnesium, and an enzyme created by the adrenal glands called cytochrome P450. Phase two is glutathione, glycine, cysteine, methionine, and sulfate. I mean, those things, if you're deficient in those things, you're not going to be able to properly detoxify. So that's one of the reasons why we talk about real food, getting our nutrients from real food. But if, if you're good with that, then you're going to be able to properly detoxify and get rid of those toxins. So these exercises that I talk about in the book are just ways, different ways to help you remove those toxins. She's so nerdy when she gets into her talking <laughs> points. I love it. Uh, she's, she's lighting up on the... On the yes. Uh, so the, I've, I've read about the brain detoxifying, but only during sleep, right? Is that... Uh, yeah, the, the, the brain, the, the main point of restoration for the body is especially when we're sleeping. The body's always detoxifying, but especially at night, especially when you get into the data and delta waves, um, your deep and REM sleep. Um, this is where your body heals and restores itself and your brain is able to kind of um, put things together the way it should and it kind of, it, it's a prime way to be able to detoxify. So this is why it's important not to eat too close to going to bed because the body will always prioritize digestion over detoxification. So if you eat too close to going to bed, you're going to have trouble sleeping and you're not going to be able to detoxify properly. Oh, what a great point. So what would you recommend? Uh, no food within how long? I usually eat um, no later than six or seven because I stay, I tend to stay up. I'm a night owl, so I'm a little later. But... Yeah, she is. <laughs> I go to bed at like eight. She doesn't go to bed till maybe 2 a.m. So for But him, then I'm up at 5 a.m. She didn't get up till 10 a.m. Yeah, so for him, I recommend no later than four o'clock. Yeah, I'm <laughs> usually done by three or four. Oh, that's, that's, I, I've never heard that connection with, uh, with detoxification and uh, eating. But it makes sense. Awesome. It makes sense yeah. that your body has to deal with the food. And if you don't let your body deal with the food, you're not going to properly detoxify uh, if it has to digest throughout the night. Right, right. And speaking of digestion, digestion starts in the brain, you say. Talk about that. That's very interesting to me. 
So have you ever paid attention to walking by a, a place where there, a restaurant or something and something smells good and you feel your salivary glands starting to release the saliva? That's the signal from the brain to your saliva glands. So you smell something, it, it starts in the brain. If you're stressed out, if you're in a in what's called a sympathetic state, a stress state. Like you've been today. Like I have been today. You're not gonna be able to properly digest your food. Um, so you need to make sure that you have your mental um, mental self in order before you try to eat. And so what happens, you smell the food, that sends a signal to the salivary glands to release salivary amylase, and then you put the food in the mouth. And then for carbohydrates, the, the salivary amylase starts to digest the carbohydrates, then the stuff goes in the stomach, and the stomach is the main point of uh, digestion for your proteins, and then the main point of digestion for your fats is in the duodenum. So yeah, if, if, you're, if you're starting out stressed, this, it, your, your digestion's gonna be off. So that's why it starts in the brain. Very interesting. Uh, so what's your take on the uh, acid-base balance of the stomach? Because I, I hear a lot of people talk about like drink apple cider vinegar because it makes you more acidic. And uh, what, what's your take there on just, is, is that just a whole food approach? Do you recommend anything like apple cider vinegar or? Definitely. I mean, especially if I um, am looking at a client who I know is struggling with producing enough stomach acid, they're going to need some help digesting their foods. So I, I will recommend apple cider vinegar. I'll recommend warm lemon water with their meal. Um, anything with um, beets and it's good for digestion. So, and then I want to make sure that they are up on their B6 and zinc, which is necessary for stomach acid production. Well, just an example, prime example, my dad, he just went through a, a, a health scare. Um, he had been diagnosed with cancer in 2015 in his duodenum. And so they went in and took the tumor out, uh, but it's in a very tricky place. So we were concerned that they might not have gotten it all well. Uh, about a month ago, we started, uh, he started seeing blood in his stool, which you know was a red flag for us. And so he went back and had an endoscopy. We thought his cancer had returned. Turns out he's got helicobacter pylori, H. pylori, and that's due to not enough stomach acid. So his, the pH of his stomach is not acidic enough. And so the stomach is the starting point or your first line of defense for bacteria and other harmful things getting in the rest of your body. So yeah, if I see somebody struggling, I will tell them to do apple cider vinegar. And if for my dad, the doctor, uh, said his body was too acidic, so they automatically put him on a proton pump inhibitor, something for acid reflux. Well, that's not the problem. His stomach pH is too alkaline. Now, his blood pH is too acidic. They're two separate things, and so for my dad, I recommended certain alkalizing foods to help with the uh, his blood acidity, but the stomach acidity is something totally different and um, it's very important that it needs to be between 1.5 and 3 on the pH scale in order to digest your foods properly. So I, I totally believe in apple cider vinegar, yes. <laughs> but you don't drink it straight, right? You need to Some people actually do take it We have it by shot glasses of... I can't do it. I'll put it like on a salad or something. Well, and now they have even like little pills yeah. we found in... Um, was at Costco, yeah. apple cider vinegar in pill form. So you can get it in, 
you get kind of the burps where you taste it, <laughs> yeah. but you don't put it on your tongue. So you're not getting all that, but it's pretty rank. Yeah. If you yeah. try to stick it right on your tongue. Some people actually do take it by the teaspoonful and I know. Yeah. That's, that's pretty strong stuff. But, uh, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a way to wake up in the morning, mix it with some water. And that's oh, yeah. part of waking <laughs> up. Yeah. Just put this apple cider in and get her in your cup. Um, Okay, so moving on to cortisol. So you got a section about the cortisol tsunami. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about cortisol, that it's this really bad thing, uh, and as opposed to, uh, because people here, they have high, you know, chronic cortisol levels. So can you make a distinction between what it's supposed to be and what is happening in our world? You would never wake up if you didn't have cortisol. Everybody thinks cortisol is this bad stress hormone, but cortisol plays a very important role. It's a hormone. And so around 3 a.m., the body starts to do the waking up process. And that's where you see this rise happening in the morning with cortisol. So you want to have a higher level of cortisol in the morning because that's what helps wake you up so that you're not sluggish when you wake up. And so for people that have adrenal issues, that cortisol response doesn't happen for people to have uh, other issues going on in the body. Again, that doesn't happen if other hormones are out of whack, insulin, ghrelin, all these other ones. Cortisol can't do its job. Its job is to do some very good things in the body. But what you're talking about is, is it chronic stress? And it's that chronic stress that's causing this cortisol. And if cortisol remains elevated, it also elevates your blood sugar. It also makes your insulin levels go up. And it's just this down domino effect, downward domino effect all across the system, which is why you wanna put it in the proper context of getting it to the proper levels. And you have something called the pregnenolone steel, which your sex hormones and um, a couple of other hormones, aldosterone is, is um, they're all created in the adrenal glands. If you're under a constant state of stress, the pregnenolone that would be going to the production of cortisol or to these other sex hormones is put towards the production of cortisol because the adrenal glands prioritize the fight or flight hormone over all the other hormones. And so if you're under a constant state of stress, and pumping out the cortisol, you're going to find that your other sex hormones and your um, aldosterone is going to be off. Uh, so somebody watching this right now or listening to this is thinking like, how do I know if my cortisol levels are, are up? What, what are some uh, maybe observations, indications that without going to a doctor that you have unhealthy cortisol levels is there anything that you can tell? yeah you can physically test it without a doctor uh, they sell kits online uh, where you take four saliva samples throughout the day so like first thing when you wake up in the morning you spit into this little vial and then somewhere around noon you spit in the vial four o'clock spit in the vial eight o'clock spit in the vial and then they can look at each of those points during the day and like i said earlier the very first one of the day, you're going to see a double digit reading if, if you've got healthy cortisol levels. And then it should be this progressively down because by the time you want to go to sleep, I think there's a circadian rhythm when it comes to cortisol levels. You want that level to be lower later in the day so that you sleep and then the body detoxifies and does all of its things and then recuperates and then comes back up again for the next day. Um, it's a pretty cool little test too. Uh, non-invasive, you're not having to prick your finger for blood, you just spit in a vial. It's kind of gross, but other than that, it's pretty easy. For me, I've dealt with adrenal fatigue, and personally, I can tell you that I 
there were some days where I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. I was, there'd be days where I'd be sitting on the couch. Okay. Do I want to get up and fix me something to eat? Or do I just want to sit here because I'm so tired? Oh, so she'd I was, go hungry. I, I literally, yeah, I literally would just, you know, I'd be too tired to get up and fix something to eat. I would and not. And she wouldn't tell me. I'm like, you know, I can make you some food. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just very tired. You yeah. have brain fog. Um, and you're not able to effectively deal with stress. Uh, those are the observations that I, from me personally dealing with it, you know, that I dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, pretty important. I don't think a lot of people think about their hormones, right? Uh, I, I have, I've known several women and it's, it's always been women. I, I really haven't encountered this with men too much, but they, they kind of chronic, chronically under eat and then their hormones are all whacked out. Uh, what, what would be your advice? First of all, they, they, it seems that they think that they eat more than they actually eat. Cause when I start asking questions, I'm like, well, tell me what you ate. And I start adding up the calories and they may be eating four or 500 calories a day and then, then going to the gym. So what would be your advice for someone like that? You know what this is? We have grown up in a dieting culture. And so our entire lives, especially women, you've been given this. If you want to get healthy, here's what you do. Cut your fat, eat more healthy whole grains, cut your calories and exercise till you drop. That's pretty much been the prescription for how you get healthy. And it's, it's what I like to refer to as the default diet. And so we've all done the default diet. And for women especially, it's that much more underscored that they go to that default diet. Even when they learn about keto, Dan, they understand keto, eat more healthy fats, eat less carbs, blah, blah, blah. But the default diet mentality kicks in and they're like, oh, well, um, I'm not really that hungry, so I don't want to eat too much. And so they undereat, not realizing they're slowing their metabolism. You should just look at the study that they did on the biggest loser contestants. Yeah, exactly. Huge study on that. And they concluded that almost every single one of those people, 95% of them, gained back the weight. And now their metabolism is slower as a direct result of under consuming nutrition. Now you can talk about some of the effects because you've had several clients who under eat habitually. Yeah. I mean, it's just trying to get them to understand that fats are important. So if you're not eating enough, like Jimmy said, your metabolism is going to slow down. You're going to start to have hormonal issues. You're going to start to have thyroid issues. Your immune system is going to suffer. I mean, everything you're going to have problems with if you're not getting enough nutrients because the the nutrients that we eat are just so important for every function of the body and here's a here's something to think about it's better for women not to eat any food at all in a day than to only eat 500 calories people are like whoa whoa what are you talking about 500 calories is nutrition when you eat food you're sending a signal to your body okay get ready guys coming in with nutrition but if you don't eat that food, the body's all calm. The pancreas isn't having to work. Fasting is what I'm talking about. You're able to let everything just kind of relax and settle in. The body's very well adapted to go through periods of time without eating. It's a lot better to eat no food in a day than to eat less food than your body needs because your body will go into a panic. That's it. That's very interesting. Right now, you everybody's like, what? But it makes, it makes total sense. Uh, on, on that note, so we tell people in the keto world, let 
let your, you eat fats, but let your body use its own fat, right, for energy. And then the question I get a lot is, well, if I don't keep my fats up, uh, my calories up, will my metabolism slow down? Is there, is there a balance of intake of nutrients versus using your own body fat if you're trying to lose fat? So my philosophy on this issue is you can't burn and access that stored body fat unless you put your body in a position where the hormones are all happy. And the way you make them happy is eat adequate amounts of the fat, not gorging yourself on sticks of butter. I've seen those memes out there. People think I'm encouraging people to eat sticks of butter. I've never encouraged that. <laughs> what I've encouraged is eat adequate amounts of fat that they end up being a preponderance of your calories, moderate amounts of protein and low carb. And when you do that, then your body is primed to burn its own stored body fat. There is this notion out there, well, you don't need to eat fat in your diet if you have fat on your body, and that could not be more wrong. Tell them if, why. If you do that, you're not able to stoke bile production. So you need fat in your diet to stoke bile production. If you don't have fat, you're gonna, your bile's gonna get sluggish, you're gonna develop gallstones, and you might end up needing to have your gallbladder taken out. And the fat-soluble vitamins? Yeah, you need, you need the fat. The, the, Fat that's on your body is different from dietary fat, and you need those the, the dietary fat in order to be able to absorb those fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Um, and then your hormones, thyroid, your sex hormones all depend on fat. So, but it's not the body fat, it's the dietary fat. And let's not forget one of the major reasons why you consume fat in the diet is satiety. Mm -hmm. And right. so... I could eat a chicken breast with broccoli and that would be very low carb and it would be very little fat. And people would say, oh, your stored body fat will kick in and make up for the fat. I'll be starving an hour after eating that meal. Yeah. Whereas if I have a pork belly with broccoli with some butter and cheese on top, I could eat that meal and go eight, 10, 12, maybe 15 to 24 hours before I have to eat again. That's the biggest difference. Yeah, and here's the thing. Your body is very good about telling you when it's had enough fat. Um, You'll and, throw and, up. And people forget, you know, going back to the sticks of butter thing, it doesn't take as much dietary fat as you think to get your ratios right because fat has twice as many calories uh, protein and carbohydrates. So, again, I mean, we're, we're talking about adding a sauce to it to a steak, putting a slab of butter on top of vegetables, that sort of thing. I mean, we're, it's, it's, people have got to remember that, that it doesn't take as much dietary fat as you think. And to that end, uh, the example you were given earlier of the people that only end up eating six, 700 calories, it really only takes like, what, if they put three more tablespoons of butter, for example, that's 600 more calories and it gets them at least more in the range where they would be more nutrient sufficient. Mm -hmm. rather than nutrient deficient, which is what that low of level of calorie, but even people that are on like a, a sub low, like 11, 1200, just one more tablespoon of butter and you're there. Right. And then on the opposite spectrum, you know, because uh, a lot of people start and they'll, they'll be doing their macros through an app or whatever, and they'll be at the end of the day and they haven't got their fat in. So they're knocking back MCT and all that. So Get me started. <laughs> Go ahead and start on that for a little bit because there is a balance of starving yourself or gorging yourself, right? I, I tell people just eat when you, until you're comfortable, until you're yes. satiated. Don't. So there's this trend in the keto world to eat to your macros. 
can I just say that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life? Because you assume that in the day-to-day, -day, your body's going to have exactly the same number of calories as a need. No. Some days you might have a little higher amount of calories. Some days a little bit lower. There's no like, I'm going to have 2,100 calories every single day, and that's my goal. And okay, yeah, that's an arbitrary goal, but let your body tell you. I'm currently in the midst of doing an N equals one experiment where I'm doing a, a carnivorous keto diet and I'm only tracking the calories and fat and all that stuff just to show people what I'm eating, but I'm not really counting it. And I've had as low as 1600 calories, as high as 3,300 calories. So it's not really about the calories and yet everybody wants to focus on that. It's about how is your body responding to what you're feeding it with and if you're well nourished, one of the best ways to know how well nourished you are is the length of time between meals. Exactly. So today when I had my meal, Dan, what was it, 28 hours since my last meal when I finally did eat today? I mean, you can't just do that willy-nilly. That's, that's just listening to your body and allowing your body to tell you when it's time to eat. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you say you're carnivore right now? Is that your experiment? Keto carnivore, yep. How's, how's that going? How are you feeling? Yeah, so I'm in day 23. I feel fabulous have had absolutely zero carbs carbs in the last 23 days i've lost 22 pounds wow. uh, i ran a bunch of blood work i'm going 28 days officially in the experiment then i don't have to post so obsessively anymore i'll i'll add in some exercise and infrared sauna and all kinds of other things but it's it's moving the needle uh with fat loss it's and i feel unbelievable and i just told you how long i've been fasting this is the best thing i've done since i went atkins so what's your, what's your go-to foods like you're eating right now? What kind of meats? Or oh, I love the fatty, fatty beef. So I get the fattiest cuts of like ground beef. It's so easy. And, and I'm not worried about food quality as much right now. So I'm having some sausages in there. People have complained, oh, that's processed meat. I'm like, I'm getting results. So shut up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, that kind of thing. And I am including dairy. It is an animal-based food. Um, so eggs. maybe at some point, huh? Your eggs, you're doing eggs. Oh, I'm doing eggs as well. So yeah, I'm pretty much, if it's in the animal kingdom, I'm having it. I'm having a little bit of spices in there. I'm not doing like avocado oil mayo. I would so love to be putting Primal Kitchen mayo on the burgers. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is going really, really well. I'm very surprised how easy it is. I know people say it's boring to eat meat, and but you can, you can mix up the meats pretty well. There's not just, it's not just ribeyes like Sean Baker does. Uh, you can definitely mix it up. So what he's going to do once he gets past the experiment, he is going to incorporate organ meats to get those nutrients in yes. there. But I think he's trying to make a point that even doing it this way, you, you can, can start results. seeing results. But right. it, it is important to get that micronutrition in there, and he's going to implement that more once he gets done well and i do take an organ complex yes. we get from paleo valley it's got a uh, beef heart and liver and all that stuff and like little freeze-dried pills so i am getting it that way yeah. now but yeah i would like to incorporate mix in some of that uh, liver with the ground beef oh nice nice all right well um let me ask you one more question about the book in general what's what's some of the top things that you kind of learned or came back came back to you when you were writing this book? Was there any like uh, wows that uh, you figured out as you were writing the book? Either one of you. So for, I know Christine's got a lot, but the one reason I wanted to get this book out there, Dan, 
was there's this movement in the keto world called dirty lazy keto and that movement i just don't understand i get you're trying to show people okay you don't have to be so stringent you don't have to eat the best grass-fed panda massaged organic all this kind of stuff to get results i get that that's awesome but i think people need to know the goal is to get you on real whole foods because most of us that have come to this, we came from a really crappy garbage kind of diet. And so I wanted to put real food in the title. I wanted to do a book about doing real food keto because nobody really was putting a, a strong emphasis on that. And I think it truly is the missing element for so many people who are looking for success and they're never quite finding it in their health markers and their weight. This could be the key to making them successful. For me, I think it was just the whole uh, realization that digestion is so important. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because so many people aren't producing enough stomach acid and that leads to a whole host of issues. And, and so just writing that book just even made that point, you know, it drove that point home even further. So no digestive enzymes to be able to go through this and digest it. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So where can uh, I, I take it? This book is everywhere, right? Amazon and yeah, uh, it actually got into Costco over the holidays. So we were very fortunate, and it actually sold out, and they had to reorder three times. So, but yeah, it's at Amazon. It's wherever books are sold, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. But RealFoodKeto.com is the website for the book. Uh, Christine actually has a site for her nutritional therapy practice. Yeah, it's RebootingYourNutrition.com, and you can contact me there. And then my website, we just rebranded, Dan, is LLVLC, stands for Live in La Vida Low Carb. We just shortened it for people. I've been out there a long time. So, you know, Beyonce can just be known as Beyonce and Cher is Cher and Lady Gaga is Gaga. Then I can be LLVLC.com. For, formerly known as Live in Low Carb. Formerly known as Live in La Vida Low Carb, exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And the book is... Congratulations, what a great job on the book. And uh, Maria Emmerich has the recipes in the back. And it's just, it's so well done. The book is so well done. So congratulations on a successful first book and a successful eighth book. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you are on the road to your successful low-carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.